Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Jack Krupe. Thanks for being on the show, Jack. Pleasure to be here. Jack has been investing in real estate since 2001 and was part of a large PE fund purchasing distressed mortgages since the 2008 crisis. During that time, he was also personally investing as a limited partner in various syndication deals. He recently launched his own Reg D fund, the diversified real estate fund focused on aggregating capital to provide investors a diversified investment into multiple syndications with a diverse portfolio of multifamily and various markets with a select group of experienced and well-qualified operators. Jack, thank you again for your time being on the show. I'm looking forward to getting into that in this model you've created because I know it's something that I've heard people talk about a little bit and I know there's listeners who are wondering how that works a little bit and just the fund to fund models. But, you know, give us a little bit about your background in real estate and, and getting into, you know, the fund type of business. Sure. So I actually started in 2001, shortly after college, buying uh, single family and uh, small multifamily properties in Rochester, New York. I was there until the 2008 crash. And then during that time, I was able to land a job at a private equity fund that was buying large portfolios of distressed loans. They needed someone with real estate experience to handle the incoming short sales and, and just the other side of the business. So I was there for a few years, then launched my own small fund, then we ended up partnering with a private equity group and bought over 2 billion in loans between 2015 and 2020. I actually still maintain a minority ownership in the platform, but I left in 2019. I'm more of an entrepreneurial guy. And then during that time, you know, we bought over 30,000 loans and I was personally investing in in a number of syndication deals and I just, you know, there wasn't a lot of diversity of choice. I had a buddy that was doing deals in Charleston, South Carolina, so I had to choose between putting money. Do I put money in Charleston, South Carolina with one operator? Do I put money in Texas with another operator? And just me personally, I was looking for a little more diversity and I didn't really see a lot of other options. So that, that led me to create the diversified fund. Nice. Well, I'm looking forward to getting into that. You know, why don't we just talk a little bit about it? And I'm sure you can speak to this very well, but just like some pros and cons of of having them fund, you know, versus, you know, investing in specific deals like you were talking about. Sure. So, you know, obviously with a specific deal, you know, you get to dive in a little further and know exactly what you're getting into. You may have, you know, more comfort level with, you know, a personal relationship with a certain certain operator. So that's the the main pro. Of doing a direct deal, you know, doing this fund of funds model, you're getting a diversity of operators. So if you know if one operator runs into challenges, it's not going to take down the whole portfolio. You're also getting a diversity of markets. So far, and we really we opened the doors late September. We're in three deals already, just with you know my own personal seed money as well as a few you know friends and family that came in. And so far, we're in a 104 unit in Augusta, Georgia. We're in a 266 unit in Jacksonville and a 286 unit in Phoenix. So if there's a hurricane in Florida, it's not going to affect Phoenix. If there's fires out in the West Coast, it's not going to affect Florida. And you know, I think the diversity plays a key component of it. The other aspect is, you know, although you know, we're charging our own management fees, even really, really strong, successful operators, you know, when you have 45 days to raise $5 million for a building, 
even guys with large databases and great investor bases are always looking for larger check sizes. And we often get better deals, better returns than if somebody were to put 50,000 directly into a project. So it may not offset every dollar of our management fees, but it's, you know, it, it can make a big difference whether we get a piece of the GP or whether we get a higher preferred return. There, there's a number of things we can do to offset to make it a better return for coming in through our aggregated capital than just going directly into a deal. Yes, no, it's awesome. I mean, everybody talks about diversification, and this is a great way to diversify, like you said, amongst operators, but not only operators, but also markets as well. You know, tell me, what are some of the biggest concerns that investors have when investing in a fund like this? Well, right now, in addition to just the fund itself, I mean, there's a lot of investors worried about just political risks, also with the COVID situation and, you know, what happens when the government stimulus uh, slows down. Those are generally the conversations we're having right now. I'm overall still very bullish on the residential sector. There's just not enough single-family housing supply. You know, across the deals we're in, most of the operators are within a percent or two of rent collection that they were last year. And I don't, you know, of the tenants that have reported COVID-related issues, but in this workforce housing sector, it's not that the, I don't believe the bottom's going to fall. It seems like the majority of people still have jobs or they're essential workers, and they're not they're not all only employed because of the PPP funds. You know, I could see. I could certainly see a recession or you know some struggles next year, but I just don't think this sector is going to get hit nearly as hard. If you're in a you know our core is really we're focusing on Class B multifamily. If things get tough, people are going to downgrade from Class A or they're going to you know sell their house. And the single family market is booming. Any any vacant properties because of the foreclosure and eviction moratorium, the exposure we still have to the single family you know foreclosure market is anything vacant is selling very very quickly. So. You know, that lack of supply trickles down to the apartment sector, where if you, you can't find a house because there's multiple offers, you're going to stay in apartments. There's some concern over potential capital gains, tax changes, depending on who wins. And I feel like that comes up in every election cycle. And I can't imagine a scenario where they just completely do away with it. I think cooler heads will prevail, even if in a Biden administration where, you know, the rate may go up a bit, but I, I just can't imagine they just eliminate capital gains completely. I think there's enough. There's enough rich Democratic donors that own real estate as well. And I, I hope that in some sense will prevail. And yeah, other questions are really just about, you know, about the operating partners. So, you know, it's, at least at this stage, the partners we're in with, I've known for many years. I've had my personal money with them. The group at Augusta, Georgia has also had done non-performing loans at some point in the past. So I actually knew them and did business with them both on the loan side, but you know, the main owner had also had multifamily the whole time as well. So you know, these are long-term relationships that I'm leveraging. You know, for the access to the at least the initial deals, and and over time, I'm hoping to continue to network and and find other you know other strong sponsors and strong markets. So let's talk a little bit about just the relationship, say, with a sponsor while operating a fund versus you know just being a LP or limited partner. Sure. So you know, obviously, one of the benefits is you know a lot of the sponsors we talk to are going through hundreds of deals to find the good one. So it's making my life easier because we you know we're not competing in that way. We're not bidding against them for a deal in, in Atlanta or, or Charlotte. So, you know, as as the LP capital, the, the good deals come to us. We're looking for for strong operators that have, you know, similar mindset to us for the types of asset classes, the types of value add, and really just a strong sense of, of ethics, you know, ability to execute. I like operators that have been through a down cycle, whether it was in apartments or just, you know, have been around long enough to have been through the 2008 crisis because you know, we've seen you know things can go sideways, and you know really those are the the key. You know there's some more logistical things like making sure the K ones get out on time so that 
you know, we can take our K1s in and just aligning on just the level of value add and the return metrics, you know, so that we're, you know, because we're balancing multiple properties, some of which are heavier value adds, some of which are a little more stabilized. So, you know, we're trying to create a balanced portfolio where we, you know, we're paying quarterly dividends and, you know, that we don't have too many value adds at one time that, you know, hurt the dividends. But at the same time, we're trying to still, you know, provide a, you know, mid-teens return overall. So we want that balance. Why don't you speak a little just about creating a fund like this? I know there's probably many listeners who are contemplating creating a fund, especially right now. I've heard more talk about a fund, you know, recently than ever or than in a long time, I'll say. But, you know, it's just a lot of thought around, you know, there's going to be deals to be had soon. And so let's, you know, obviously raise this money so we're prepared. But, you know, you can maybe you can speak to just how you created this fund and some steps or maybe things you wish you had known when you started to create the fund. Sure, sure. So, you know, although I've been involved with billions of dollars of transactions, this is the first time I've actually done the Reg D. I always had uh, prior, I had one big private equity backer that handled all the fundraising. So I chose to do the Reg D 506C because I wanted to be able to, to do some level of promotion and advertising. And I feel like a majority of the investors were going to be accredited anyway. So, you know, it limits us to only accredited. And I just feel that's a safer way to go. I have multiple share classes. So there was the balance of keeping it really simple and doing whether it's, you know, a 70 30 or, you know, with a certain hurdle where the, you know, the promote can go higher or just doing a fixed return. And so I chose to do both. We have a fixed return share class that just provides 10% with a three year lockup that in some cases could be better for IRA money. I, I can't give tax advice, but the way it's structured, it's, you know, minimizes you bid if it's just the fixed return and you're not getting. And equity, you know, the leverage doesn't affect you as much. And then we have the six or an eight percent preferred return with a 70-30 split. And you know, that that just the eight percent just pays if someone's coming in with more than 250,000, they get a higher, higher preferred return. So you know, we try to structure it so that it has you know both a fixed return for people who just want to clip a coupon, and then the more aggressive return for investors that are looking for the higher returns. You know, duration comes up a lot. And that's the other thing. If the, for the fixed return, we could do a three-year lockup and then people can request their money back. But many of these deals will be, will be into these uh, deals for five to seven years. So you know, it's, I tell people, but you're investing. It's a fund, but you're investing in a business. And the reason if you want to have immediate liquidity, you could buy a REIT, but you're probably going to make a 6 or 8% dividend on the REIT and have the, you know, the ups and downs of the stock market to contend with. Yeah, and then you actually, you know, it's not even a qualified dividend because the REITs aren't taxed at the corporate level first. So it's not even the discounted dividend tax, you know, versus, you know, this fund or any of the funds, you get the pass-through depreciation, which for, you know, for high earning credit investors, it's the pass-through depreciation is one of the key benefits. So, you know, I guess the main point is it's the balance of trying to keep it super simple, but also having a few different options for different types of investors. Nice. No, that's awesome. Uh, investors love to have some options uh, depending on what their investment goals are, right? You know, whether it's growth in you know, long term or or they need more cash flow now. And like you said, even whether they're investing with an IRA or or something else, it may be more beneficial to do one way or the other. But a couple of things you mentioned there that I don't hear very often. You said like, you know, an investor that's investing 250,000 or more, they can make a little higher return. Right. You know, could you just elaborate on that a little bit? It's not something like I don't see many deals structured that way, but I think it's neat to encourage those that can to invest more. Yeah. Just speak to that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's an incentive. Obviously, as a newer fund, it's an incentive to get a little more money in the door. You know, and I think generally people that have more capital tend, you know, in some cases do have more options as well. You know, there's a fair amount of credit investors that don't have any exposure to this space. So, 
But you know, then there's others that might have a choice between doing a direct syndication or coming into the fund. So, so you know, it's just trying to provide a reasonable incentive to the you know the higher net worth investors that can come in with a bigger check and make it competitive against other options. And you know, we do have an advisory practice as well. So for for select situations, we may have the opportunity for investors to also invest directly into deals alongside us as well as part of a sidecar fund. We're not going to turn into a crowd street or a fundrise ourselves. I think we're going to stay more boutique, but there could be situations where the fund is only going to invest a certain amount of the fund's capital in a deal. And you know, a sponsor that we are close with has more capital needs than we want to allocate ourselves. So there could be some individual one-off situations as well. And those are customized deals we can put together for the higher net worth investors. We also can facilitate or discuss 1031 exchange options. You know, someone owns a building and is looking to do a tenant in common situation and probably needs to be a seven-figure deal to make sense to do all right. the legal. But you know, we've we've seen situations where you set up a Delaware trust and set up a tenant in common situation. And those are, you know, because we have so many operators that own, you know, a lot of them own 10, 20 other buildings besides the ones that were even invested with them. There's going to be the ability to do off-market transactions as they figure out which buildings they've owned for four or five years that they may want to sell or recapitalize. So it just opens the door for just various opportunities. And you know, real estate's a team sport. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and one thing quickly, I know you mentioned like a three-year lockup in a in a fund, you know, where like they can't get their funds, they can request their funds after three years. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Because I know that that's always a question, right? When do I get my funds back? And if it's a single, you know, deal or syndication, then obviously, you know, it, it's very difficult to do that until we exit, right? But how does that work with the fund? Sure. So that part is is more of an open-ended vehicle. So you know it's preferred equity. So you know you still have membership interest in the LLC. You're you're fully secured. You're paid. Your preferred returns are, are paid parapasu along with the other shared classes. But after the three-year period, if you want your funds back, you can request them back. And that's sort of a more of an open-ended fund. So we can you know we can continue to raise fixed return equity and return capital for those that want out. They also may be able to convert into the longer term equity if they choose at that point, because you know, we're targeting at this point the deals we're in have a pro forma 16 and a half return between the three deals so far. And you know, the fund's gross returns for the equity shareholders should be in the mid, you know, mid-teens or better. So those that want the cash out or, or short term will just be continuing to raise fixed return capital. The fund does have a slightly broader mandate than just multifamily. You know, my target is at least 50% of the deals are going to be these cookie cutter class B value adds, which I think is a very defensive and safe haven asset class where you're forcing appreciation. But we have the ability to do bridge lending, MES. We may make a small allocation into a senior housing development. So it's not, it's multifamily focused for a core of the fund, but there's a few opportunistic opportunities that could generate higher returns as well. And you know, as we as we build a base of investors, I know a number of groups that have done, you know, they only pay fixed return and don't actually share the upside. So, you know, I want to give both options to people, but you know, we, we do expect that there's enough interest in people who want to clip coupons that yeah, that's gonna be more of the open-ended fund and then the equity side will be we'll probably launch a new fund every two or three years because it, it becomes unfair to the equity investors if you're continually taking equity. You know, if it's three years in and you put in equity and then you sell a building six months later, you know, it starts becoming unfair to the early investors if you take equity forever. But the fixed return side isn't affected by that. So it allows us to keep that part of the fund open longer. You know, when operating a fund, how do you prepare for a downturn? You know, we're very, you know, one of the reasons we're in this type of asset class is I feel that it's probably the most immune to a downturn. We're certainly not going to be buying 
retail or, or office at this point. And my background in distressed debt, you know, I expect is, is going to be very helpful. When there is an inevitable downturn, banks, there are many cases are forced to sell loans because the, the capital reserve requirements that they're required to maintain, it makes sometimes it makes more sense for them to sell a loan at 50%, 60% of the current asset value. So, you know, we can kind of play both sides of the equation, you know, locking in very low interest rate exposure to a class B multifamily, I feel is defensive. And then if and when there's a more significant decline or, you know, even on the class B, which I feel it's defensive, but some people might have bought with a, with a bad bridge loan and just couldn't execute on their game plan. So if and when there's a project that's not going well, you know, we're going to be positioned to you know, bail projects out if, if needed and, and work with one of the sponsors that we know is a great executor and, and take over a building that maybe went a little bit sideways and needs, you know, needs a new management team in place. So, so I think you, you have to be prepared to pounce on the distress. But at the same time, you know, I go back to value investing at a class. You know, I took updated value investing class in business school and they talk about dollar cost averaging. You know, if you, if you were putting money into the stock market in 1929, one month at a time, you know, the six months before and the six months after 1929, you would have gotten, you know, you would have been positive within two and a half or three years. And similar, there's similar statistics for the 2008 crash in the stock market. I look at that in real estate as well. Even if there is, you know, an expansion of cap rates and even if multifamily does decline a few points, we're, we're in cash flow positive projects and we're going to continue to allocate money into deals, you know, over the course of a few years. And, you know, we don't need to time the market perfectly. But you know, if there is a decline, we'll be averaging in, and it's not going to hurt the fund's returns. Yeah. Well, on that note, maybe you can speak to just how you see the market adapting. You know, post COVID, or what you know, what you see over the next six to twelve months in the real estate market. Sure. So you know, I think it's it's definitely you know increased the timing of of people moving out of New York and California into secondary and tertiary markets. You know, I don't think that office work is is dead by any means, but I think a higher percentage of people are going to be able to continue to work from home. Whether that's five, 10, 20% more. And you know, that's that's more people that are gonna be able to work from secondary markets for a much lower, you know, lower cost of living. So I like you know the Augusta, Georgia over Atlanta, where you can get a, a point higher cap rate. The Jacksonville deal we're in, there's a, a stat I that we we pulled that had the it's the highest net population increase post-COVID was Jacksonville, Florida. And you know, I, I think it really bodes well for secondary and tertiary markets that have slightly higher cap rates. You know, it's not to say we wouldn't do a deal in Atlanta, but those are, you know, those are uber competitive. And you know, the remote work, it's just it's expanding on trends that were already happening. People are already leaving California for Phoenix and and Las Vegas. Las Vegas obviously has its own challenges with the, you know, the tourism and the gambling industry. But you know, Phoenix, you know, really everywhere that people from California move, people from California were also moving to Boise. And various other markets, Texas. So yeah, I think you know it's just expanding on trends that were already happening. Interest rates are likely to be low for the foreseeable future, and locking in these Fannie or HUD loans where you're you're getting a sub three percent rate for you know either thirty years on the HUD product or you know the Fannie Mae loan in Augusta that did the green program and the twelve year term, seven years interest only at two point eight eight percent. You know, it's difficult to beat that financing, which will be in place for the, the length of the project, the length of time we're going to own the project. So, Jack, yeah, just a few last questions quickly. You know, I believe anyone that has a high level of self discipline or anyone that's successful in business has a high level of self discipline. How did you gain such a high level of self discipline? Oh, it's, uh, you know, 
so, sometimes sometimes it varies. I, I know I have it, but you know it's it's not it's not all the time for everyone as well. You know, I've always been driven. I've always been sort of a, a deal junkie, and you know, a bit of a tax nerd too. You know, one of the reasons I actually you know relocated to Puerto Rico, so I still keep an apartment in New Jersey, but I moved to Puerto Rico for the Act Twenty Twenty Two tax benefits. And you know, I, th- I think it's a matter of just doing what you like to do. And I realize I'm not a guy who's going to swing a hammer and enjoy it. I'm not. I'm just. I know I'm not that guy. But I've always been the guy that's been a bit of an evangelist for real estate. You know, in my 20s, I was the guy saying buy a two-family house, live in the other half of it. And then I was early in the distressed debt, non-performing loan space, which really became its own industry in itself. A lot of real estate investors migrated into buying and PL in in 2008, 2009. And now I'm really just an evangelist. You know, I'm in my 40s now, and I've got you know, a base of friends, business partners, clients that are, you know, started to, you know, build a bit of a net worth and are looking for ways to do it. It's really, you know, more of a guide and evangelist for being a wealth manager and finding more efficient ways to deploy capital so you can make a mid-teens tax efficient return. So the answer is just, you got to do what you love. And I've had brief periods of time in my career where I wasn't, you know, wasn't doing what I loved and was sort of just in it, you know, in it for the money or just to get paid. And, and you know, if you find your skill set where you actually enjoy what you do, you know, it doesn't feel like work and that that makes it easy to to just stay driven and, and just keep producing. What's your best source for meeting new investors right now? Right now, it's been just putting myself back out there. I have a bit of a database of people I've done business with, whether I sold them REOs or loans. So it's more of an active base. With COVID, it's not been as easy to do face-to-face conferences. But you know, one of my colleagues did a virtual conference last week. I've been speaking on, on podcasts and, and just really putting myself out there. And you know, it's doing doing various things. I'm losing my voice in some cases because I'm you know on the phone five or six hours a day or on Zoom calls. So it's just casting a wide net and just you know being willing to have a conversation. And what's great is it's for me it's a two sided market. I want to talk to operators and sponsors. I want to talk to brokers and I want to talk to accredited investors as well. So it's not you know every conversation is different. You never know where it leads. What's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? I think it's really that I'm kind of a shameless self-promoter without being excessive. I just I think people sense the passion and sense that I love what I do and I'm just always interested in in finding deals and opportunities and you know and very generous with leads and referrals myself too. I look at it how do you create a win-win and I have that, you know, it's a, a joke, it's like an idiot savant memory where like I'll somehow remember a random fact about somebody I met three years ago and be like, oh you should talk to that guy about this. So I, I really try to give back to and help connect people. And you know that's paid a lot of dividends for me over my career. How do you like to give back? You know, I think just you know, knowledge, time, information. I, I always am happy to talk with newer investors too and, and provide guidance. You know, I just relocating to Puerto Rico. There's you know some organizations like the Act Twenty Society that actually donates to various charities down here. But you know, with, with what my skill set is, I feel like the best thing to do is actually just you know help newer investors get into the space and make connections and you know and and just grow the community. Nice. Jack, I'm grateful to have met you and have you on the show. It's just great to hear more about just the fund to fund type of model. I know that's becoming more popular and a lot of people have questions about it and and you'll be a great resource. I know for many that are looking or considering that type of model and and maybe as a passive investor, being able to diversify a little more, you know, in a couple different ways there that are important, but then also as, as a sponsor, you know, it's neat to know people like yourself that are doing that, you know, tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. Sure. So we're on all social media. It's JKAM Investments. It's JKAMinvestments.com. And I'm active on Facebook as well as LinkedIn. We have company page, personal page. 
And you know, the contact information is on the website. You know, please feel free to reach out through any of the social media. I'm sure we'll put it all in the show notes as well. And you know, really looking forward to, to networking more with the community. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.